Mike Rags and Todd Burlidge with a Blue Gold Report podcast. Fighting Irish sports from the inside out. Subscribe to the Blue Gold Report. It's not just talk, it's the Blue Gold Report. Welcome to another edition of Blue Gold Report, brought to you by Dio McComb Sons, Fort Wayne, Indiana. My name is Todd Burlidge. I'm a contributing writer for the Associated Press, Blue and Gold Illustrated, the University of Notre Dame. I do quite a bit of writing. That's where I make my make most of my means, but I enjoy doing this. Little radio show, little podcast every week, talking some Notre Dame sports. Rags is out today, so I'm joined by my trusty co-host, Mason Plummer, from down at Ball State University. You can find Mason at Mason Plummer 6, numeral 6. That's his Twitter handle. And also, he writes for SlapTheSign.com, does some fine work there, covers Notre Dame sports, so he's well-equipped to sit in for rags. Mason, what's going on, man? Hey, what's going on, Tom? Excited to talk some Notre Dame football, especially after that disaster in, our, in Ann Arbor, so excited to move on. <laughs> yeah, certainly. We will dive into that a little bit, and I think we're, we're going to spin off that Michigan loss. We, I mean, you can't not talk about the quarterback situation. Ian Book was awful again. And why not give Phil Jakovic a look? Uh, that We will debate that a little bit. Some history lesson BK is going to try to conquer here in the month of November. Well, I want to touch on that. Obviously, Virginia Tech this weekend. Pretty good opponent. Come in winners of three straight. Uh, Mason's our recruiting guru. I'm going to see what uh, the Michigan loss might have done to Notre Dame when it comes to uh, maybe some head-on-head recruiting battles there. If we get to it, which I really want to try to get to it, Mason uh, threw out on his Twitter, anybody have any questions for the podcast? And we had a couple, so we're going to try to get those in. So I guess they better hustle because we start every show with Blue Gold Nuggets, and I have a three-pack as usual. Start with the injury front. Um, offensive guard Tommy Kramer sprained MCL. We'll have to wait and see. He might. It's been a little bit vague, but it sounds like he might miss this last month, these last five games. Uh, should be back for the bowl game. Certainly, but at the same time, a bit of a loss there. Trevor Rulin stepped in for him during the, Mich- at, uh, yeah, during the Michigan game after the injury. Did an adequate job, but did anybody really do an adequate job? I thought I'd throw that out there, but it's probably uh, not all that accurate. Ruland actually came in as kind of a hot shot and played well at times. He's even started a handful of games, but uh, been used in mop-up duty only this year. Uh, Tony Jones Jr., he did not play the second half against Michigan. He has a rib injury he's dealing with. Uh, Brian Kelly called it a game-time decision. I guess he did have an x-ray. It sounds Brian Kelly acted like he probably thinks he can play against Virginia Tech. We'll have to wait and see their game-time decision. Junior wide receiver Michael Young indeed is out of here. Uh, he's officially entered that transfer portal, and so he was not with the team on Michigan. The junior wide receiver will be gone. And if he can get himself to graduate here, he'll have two years of eligibility, and he can play right away. So I want to say good for him. He thinks he's better off, which he might be, with some talented wide receivers and younger wide receivers working ahead of him right now. Notre Dame will have its fifth prime time game here next week against Duke. Seven thirty start. It's going to be on. It's going to be Notre Dame's first appearance on the ACC network. So you have to check your local listings. I'm not even sure if I get that on my DirecTV package. I, I just don't know. Um, if you want to find out if indeed you, you're, it's offered by your cable provider, go to Get ACCN. Get ACCN.com, and you can find out that way. And let's see here. There's some big legislation passed here this week with the NCAA Board of Governors voting unanimously to go ahead and move forward with a proposal. 
Obviously, details need to be worked out. They will allow athletes to get paid for playing. It's not so much a contractual thing like they're going to get cut a check from the university. But think of Arike Ogumbawale from basketball, when she was the toast of all of sports during her magical moments in the NCAA tournament a couple years ago when the Irish women won it all. She could have capitalized big time by doing some endorsements, some appearances, and charged a little money, maybe put a little few bucks in her in her pocket, but she wasn't allowed to do so. Under this new proposal that's set to take place in 2021, kick in in 2021, she would have been allowed to. And that's your blue gold nuggets. Mason, what did you think about that ruling by the NCAA? The first thing I took away from that was that the NCAA college football games might come back, and that has me immensely excited. Those games were awesome. So, uh, yeah, that's my first takeaway. And then, you know, I'm not for or against it necessarily. Uh, I think the scholarship is is just about good enough for, for uh, college athletes, but maybe giving them a little bit of money here and there and allowing them to make money off their likeness isn't the worst idea either. So, yeah, I'm not, uh, I don't really have an opinion on it, I guess. It, it's, it's okay. Yeah, I, I guess the way I've always looked at it is these fat cats at the NCAA, they line their pockets with the billions of dollars that these kids make for them, perhaps allowing the kids to share the wealth or, or you know be involved in the wealth a little bit. I don't think is going to hurt anything at all. So I was very much supportive of it. As was Notre Dame and as is uh, Irish head coach Mike Bray. Brian Kelly's been a little vague on it. We tried to pin him down a couple times, but he's been pretty noncommittal. All right, let's move on to that nightmare at the big house. Uh, Michigan was up 45-7, ends up claiming a 45-14 victory. My word, that was about as ugly as it gets. It was the 10th straight road loss to a top-20 team for Brian Kelly. That dates back to 2013. Never really had a chance. Down 17-0 at half. The rushing, that was the story to me, Mason. The rushing. Michigan compiled 303 yards to 47 rushing yards for the Irish. Unbelievable there. Um Michigan just really controlled the line of scrimmage. We were kind of texting during the game, Mason. What what did you think? Yeah, I really thought that the line of scrimmage would be, both sides of the line of scrimmage would be a position group that Notre Dame had the potential to dominate, and they did not do that. Notre Dame looked uninspired, almost uninterested yeah. in the game, and it seemed like coming off the bus, they, they seemed defeated. So they went out there and just like a shell of a team and really just got embarrassed in the big house yet again. Yeah, it was crazy, you know, and I thought turnovers might be a factor. We talked about it a little bit last week uh, during the show. Notre Dame came in number one in turnover margin. Meanwhile, Michigan was number 109 in the country, so it seemed like something had to give there and would probably give in Notre Dame's favor. Well, Notre Dame forced no turnovers whatsoever. And actually, it was interesting to me because even with having that number one turnover margin for the Irish um, they only created one turnover in every game in um, in the month of October. So they've kind of cooled off a little bit. They forced a bunch of them in September, but October, obviously, that's fallen off a little bit. Mason, I thought early on Notre Dame did have a chance to perhaps secure some momentum. I don't think it would have mattered. Michigan just had a better game plan uh, and, and, frankly, just outcoached Brian Kelly big time. Outplayed him, outmuscled him, outhustled him, the whole works. But two early plays that kind of stood out to me, very first series, offensive series for Notre Dame, uh, they have to punt it away. Michigan roughs the punter, Jay Bramlett, and now you have a first and 10 for the Irish at Michigan's 40-yard line. Okay, great field position, great starting field position. 
Well, it didn't work out. Notre Dame went fl- just flat backwards on that one. I think they lost five yards on that drive and ended up having to punt it away again. I think the bigger play was, though, a little bit after that when Bo Bauer partially blocked that punt in the end zone, kind of squirted out and certainly looked like Notre Dame was going to get possession. All they had to do was stay away from the ball. And Jonathan Jones tries to pick it up on a wet field. It squirts away from him. You end up giving the ball back to Michigan. Michigan t- takes uh, drives for a field goal, and it was basically game over at that point. Uh, but we mentioned at the top of the show, I suppose the leading story for me uh, was Ian Book and just how bad he was really for a second straight game. 8 of 25, 73 yards, career low there. Um it was the worst statistical performance of his career. It also was the worst eye test of his career. Michigan got some early pressure. Mason rattled him, and he was never the same. Just evaluate Book's play from your side. Yeah, you know, in the, in the show that we had leading up to the game, we talked about Book's happy feet and how he tends to just move around in the pocket so quickly and not give his receivers a chance. And while there was there was a good amount of pass rush on him, and that comes down to the offensive line and the running backs not picking up blitzes, but at the same time, there was plenty of chances where he maybe he does have to take a hit, and quarterbacks need to do that and need to stand in the pocket and take a hit. But he has guys like Komet and Claypool running right. down the team that were open. There was plenty of missed chances for Notre Dame, and uh, you know, seventy-three passing yards doesn't cut it. So um, if you're gonna if you're gonna step up in the pocket and try to escape or get happy feet, like I like to say, then at least try to run and don't run out of bounds or run straight into a sack. Right. So Book just needs to get it figured out. And at the moment, he, he looks like he's a high school quarterback, just scared. It's unbelievable, too. I mean, with the way he came out like gangbusters last year and really looked good and, and now to regress, and certainly this is a storyline we've talked about before and we've seen play out before. I mean, you go just go down the line, Brandon Wimbush, Deshaun Kaiser, I think you could even throw Everett Golson in there under a little bit of a different circumstance. But the first year they come out as starters, they look great. By the time they come back for that second year, boy, they fall off the cliff big time. Well, anyhow, we've also debated about Book coming back for a fifth year and his value as far as an NFL draft. So I thought it was a good time this week to catch up with my friend Scott Wright. He's the president and founder of NFLDraftCountdown.com, NFLDraftCountdown.com. It's a fine uh, fine site, and he uh, is a draft analyst. Just kind of wanted to get his take on Ian Book, and it wasn't necessarily a glowing review. And I was a little surprised before the season when I was hearing the talk that maybe he would go pro after this season because, I mean, he's never been the type of guy that projected as as an early-round pick. Um, Even, I think, in the best-case scenarios, he was more of a day-three type, and uh, he's regressed the season mightily i think he i don't even know if he'd be a draftable guy at this point he's not playing well and uh he's just absolutely no pocket presence and um yeah i i think the biggest thing is a the lack of pocket presence uh he's everyone made a big deal about sam darnold seeing ghosts ian book is seeing ghosts he runs too early he takes off and get bails on the pocket too early he runs too early and he, I think he's leaving a lot of production on the field. Uh, I think he's his struggles have impacted guys like Chase Claypool and some mm-hmm. of the other weapons there. So, yeah, I mean, I, I don't see him really as a draftable prospect at this point. I think he needs that fifth year. Even at his best, I thought fourth, fifth round pick. That was before he regressed so mightily this year. So, I mean, if he if he wanted to go pro, maybe he's a sixth or seventh round pick. Uh, worst case, he would certainly be in a camp. Somebody would sign him. But um, he's not going to be going into a situation where uh, he, the team's going to invest in him and view him as a, a, a starting quarterback. So he'd be taking the, the, the hard route if he did go pro after this year. 
Mason, you heard it there. I mean, he just does not think Book has any chance of getting drafted at this point. I don't either. I mean, the eye test isn't doing it. When you start talking about arm strength and a lack of pocket poise, hard to disagree with Mr. Wright there for sure. So here you have it again. Will he be back for a fifth year? Do you want him back for a fifth year? My big thing, Mason, and this is really where I want to pick your brain. I mean, I, I didn't. Brian Kelly was asked this week about why not play Phil Jerkovic more. I mean, why not? He's sophomore. The dude was unbelievable in high school. As a, as a senior in high school, threw for four thousand yards and thirty nine touchdowns, and he added like another twenty four touchdowns on the ground. A great athlete, the best quarterback when it comes to recruiting rankings. Brian Kelly's ever brought in here, and yet here you are, and you're saying you're not willing to play him because he doesn't have any game experience. Well, well, Mason, how do you get a kid game experience if you're not willing to put him in the games? You're out of the playoff hunt. It's time to get him in there. I think so, too. And the only thing Nerdham's really playing for right now is the New Year's, the New Year's Six Bowl, and that might even be out of out of the question. Exactly. So I don't think they have anything to lose by playing Yurkovic. And the way uh, I listened into Kelly's press conference, and just the way he talked about it didn't even really cross his mind to play Yurkovic more. And after, when you're down 17-0, Ian Book's not going to win you that game. You need a spark. And it's as simple as just telling telling Ian, you know, he, he is your starter, and I'm fine with that. But at the same time, just telling him, hey, we need a spark at the moment. You're not going to win us this game. Let Phil have a drive. What's the worst that's going to happen? Notre Dame loses 52-17, right. you know what I mean? So um, even if he does turn the ball over, there's nothing wrong with giving him a chance, and maybe he leads your team to victory, but... You know, the big teams don't, like Clemson and Alabama, don't have a, a problem with quarterback turnover. Um, <clears throat> you saw two take over from Jalen Hurts, and it worked seamlessly. Right, so, right. Not, the, not that Yurkovic is nearly on the same level as Tua, but at the same time, you, you have to be open to change, and just beating your head at, you know, against a brick wall, essentially, with Book back there, it's, uh, it's not working. Well, you referenced Brian Kelly talking about this situation, so let's pop that in and we'll chat about it on the other side. Well, he hasn't played a lot of real football. You know, it's been a lot of practice football. It's an incredible game, right? You know, you, you practice, 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 you know, and then you play only 12 games. He's practiced a lot and hasn't played a lot in college. And so he's really missing that college. It's faster, you know, and, and so that's really all he's missing right now. I mean, in practice, he looks pretty good, but... You know, it's it's getting to that point where he actually plays in some of the games and making those quick decisions, you know, changing protections, uh, you know, making some quick decisions. Those are the things that, you know, he's going to have to continue to work on. If, if I felt like playing Phil for five plays, four plays, would make us a better football team, I would do it in a second. I'm only interested in how I can help our football team win. This is not about an ego or we got to play one guy or two guys. I want to just win football games by playing the best players that will help us win. And if I thought for a second that Phil Jakovic would be on the field to help us winning in some fashion, he would be on the field. And that's as honest as I can be with yeah, I just It doesn't make any sense to me when you're saying, you, you know, if we felt like Phil could give us a chance to win, any chance to win or improve our team would put him out there. Well, he's made three appearances this year. It's not exactly like he's struggled. He's 9 of 13 passes, 191 yards, a couple touchdowns, no picks. That's not too shabby. As a matter of fact, his 22 yards per completion um, are 9 yards better than Ian Books. Now, obviously, a much smaller sample size. I get that. But, you know, Jerkovic, he was even a... 
Jakovic, he was even a calming influence in the Michigan game. Three to four passing, 60 yards. He was actually Notre Dame's leading rusher, Mason, with 19 yards. Um, so, to me, he hasn't done anything to suggest that th- the game is just way over his head and he's in awe out there. I'm not seeing it. I thought I suggest maybe even you script a couple series for him. That way, you know, you can, you can put him in. He knows what he's going to call. You can work on it in practice. He doesn't have to ad-lib that much. Uh, I think that would be a good idea, but it just doesn't make any sense to at least get this guy some live reps. Ian Book's still your starter, still your main man, but it just makes sense when you start to take a peek at the future, 2020 and, and beyond, you know, 2021 and those types of things. Plus, I think it would do Phil's psyche a little bit of good, too, don't you? Yeah, I agree, and the only the only problem I first see with your you know, he has the talent on the field, and he seems to be somewhat of a gamer, but at the same time, it, what his appearance before this most recent one at Michigan was against Bowling Green, and uh, I'm sure you were at the press conference where Kelly highlighted that he was looking at the dummy signals and they had to burn a timeout, and I'm sure that really grinds Kelly, sure. Kelly's gears as well as Chip Long. So getting that kind of little things figured out is going to be big for Yurkovic, and Ian Book doesn't seem to struggle with those kind of things, but he struggles with the, the actual game stuff, so seems like almost if you could combine the two to be a great quarterback, but that's not going to happen. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, but what's the trade-off? I mean, those are, to me, what you're referencing with Phil, those are those are natural growing pain type of things that you have to work through, and you can only work through them by getting a chance to work through them. And um, they won't give him a chance. I totally yeah, agree. Yeah, yeah, yeah you, you kind of go back and forth on this one, and, and that's that's where I get confused. It, it just it doesn't hurt to throw him out there and give him a shot. It, it just doesn't. You know, you can take him off any time you want. He's not going to lose the game for you in one series. Or you wouldn't think so anyways. All right, moving on. We'll have to keep an eye. And maybe Brian Kelly has a trick up his sleeve and he's just not tipping us off. But he was pretty pretty adamant that he was not interested in putting Phil out there because, you know, you, you heard it there. He doesn't feel like Phil gives him much of a chance to win. Brian Kelly heads into November. He is going to chase a little bit of history. Mason, I will. I uh, can't remember if I told you this off air or not, so you can play along if you want. But in the 138-year history of Notre Dame football, there's only been one coach to ever go five and zero in November. Do you know who that is? Shoot, I'm gonna. It's not Holt. I'm a, is it is it Newt Rockney? It is. You got yes. I'm surprised you've even heard of Newt Rockney there, Mason. <laughs> yeah, you have to go all the way back to 1930. I found that a really fascinating stat because Brian Kelly obviously faces five November games coming up here, starting with Virginia Tech. Um, Rockney actually did it four times. I referenced 1930. That was a national championship season. Now, granted, having the calendar falling away, they actually have five games, five football Saturdays in any one month. That's kind of rare. As a matter of fact, this year is only the ninth time it's happened uh, since Rockney ran the slate in 1930. This will be Brian Kelly's second try. He was one of one in four in five November games in 2014. Uh, you mentioned Lou Holtz. He was close in '96. He won his first four but then lost in overtime to USC in uh, the regular season finale on the last day of November, so he went 4-1. and one. Uh, Holtz had another shot and only went 3-2 and two during his first season at, uh, at Notre Dame. Frank Leahy came the closest. Um, he actually won four November games and then coached to a 0-0 tie uh, against Army in uh, that battle at Yankee Stadium. It's kind of a legendary game, and that helped secure him uh, his second of four national titles. Uh, let's see, Terry Brennan failed twice. Charlie Weiss and Jerry Faust each failed once. 
Uh, remarkably, Eric Parsegian, one of the best November coaches in Irish history, he never had five November games in a season, so he never even had the chance to take that on. The reason I bring this up is because I think a month ago, Mason, when I looked at Notre Dame's November schedule, um, I, I Virginia Tech at Duke, home Navy, home Boston College at Stanford. About a month ago, this did not look like a very strong slate. But now all of a sudden, it's kind of flipped around a little bit. Virginia Tech 5-2, and two, and they are coming, uh, coming off three straight wins. Uh, Duke is 4-4. Four and four. Navy 6-1. and one. They've won four straight. Boston College 4-4. Four and four. And Stanford, winners of three out of its last four, is also 4-4. Four and four for all. So all five of these teams have at least a 500 record. Um, so a little bit stronger slate than I think we expected it to be about a month ago. Mason, I put it out there on our message board on blueandgold.com. Do you think Notre Dame will win all five of these November games? Pretty much a mixed bag. A lot of people think you do. I'm one that think they're going to get clipped in one of these, especially because I think there's going to be some leftover effects of that Michigan loss. I think so, too. And to be honest, if they lost two, I wouldn't be that surprised. Virginia Tech's a good team that's underrated. They were ranked this season at some point. You have Duke and David Cutcliffe, who I think right. is one of the better coaches in the nation. And he lines up X's nose better than anybody. And a lot of times when he loses, it's just because he doesn't have the athletes. Um, maybe, you know, that's always a tough game. And you're, our, defense, our star defensive ends are going to catch helmets to the knee every single play. So yeah. they're going to play hard. And, and I, I like Nia Matalolo a lot as a coach. Boston College is another tough game where they're going to run hard at you, just like Navy. And then I can play the last time Notre Dame beat Stanford in California. So I think they're 0 for 5 in their last five tries. So, uh, yeah, none of those games are easy by any means. There's no... Uh, there's no Bowling Greens or right. <laughs> New Mexico's left on the schedule. So Yeah, and yeah, you're exactly right. Notre Dame's lost five straight out at Stanford Stadium. Four of those belong to Brian Kelly. He's never won out there. He's, he's, never, he's never beaten Stanford out at Stanford. And on top of that, Mason, uh, the first four of these, Virginia Tech, Duke, Navy, and Boston College, they all get Notre Dame off of their bye week. So uh, interesting there that four of the first five, everybody but Stanford gets a bye before they play Notre Dame. And I think the bye week in November is a heck of a lot different than a bye week in September. I think the help it helps the team even more. Just wanted to give a quick flyby in Virginia Tech. Uh, when you look at them statistically, really not a lot jumps out at you. Uh, let's see. Uh, uh, 30 for, uh, oh, I'm sorry. Uh, where are they here? Offensively, they're 81st in the country. Defensively, 66th. Uh, mid-pack stuff really across the across the board um, on when you look at their statistical rankings. Hendon Hooker, he hurt his knee against North Carolina a couple games ago. Again, Virginia Tech coming in off a bye. That was a six-overtime win over North Carolina, by the way. Uh, it's third of three straight. It looks like Hooker, who injured his knee a little bit in that Carolina game, it looks like he's going to play. He'll start at quarterback, and he's a gifted dual-threat athlete. Somebody to watch on that side of the ball there. And a guy by the name of Rayshard Ashby. This kid's a heck of a player. Uh, 31st in the country in total tackles, getting nine per game. He's a nice linebacker for Virginia Tech. Everything kind of moves around him. So Notre Dame about a 17-point favorite in this thing. Um, and we'll see if that holds up. A good opponent, as you mentioned, Mason. Nondescript statistically, but that doesn't mean anything when it comes to playing Notre Dame. They won up here a couple years ago, and certainly they will have their eyes on doing the same again. Mason, I did want to ask you, we mentioned it at the top of the show, recruiting. When you're talking about what Michigan did to Notre Dame, certainly you would think it might make some recruits a little bit uneasy and wondering where Notre Dame's place is. is are, are there any rumblings or did anything stand out at you after the fact from the Michigan blowout? 
Yeah, there's nothing concrete, but you have to imagine that the both offensive linemen, Rocco Spindler and Garrett Dellinger, we talked about them last week and probably the week before, but uh, it seems uh, for both of them that they're going back and forth between Notre Dame and Michigan, and when Michigan blows out Notre Dame at home, and I'm sure both of them were in attendance in the Michigan stands, uh, that has to be uh, a bit of a swaying factor there. And then uh, another guy I mentioned, A.J. Henning, he uh, came down to Notre Dame and Michigan for his recruitment a couple months back. Michigan won that one out, and there had been some rumblings that maybe he wasn't quite happy there, and that he was a he's a Harbaugh recruit, obviously, and with Harbaugh's job stability, if he wanted to stay there. But you know, like in a game like that, you never you never know what's going to happen with Henning. I'm sure he's probably going to stay at this point with uh, the drubbing that Michigan had over Notre Dame. But looking forward to this weekend, there are some big time recruits visiting in South Bend. A guy, another guy we touched on last weekend, Isaiah Pryor, the Ohio State uh, graduate transfer. He's on a three-day visit right now, which started yesterday, okay. and he'll be leaving. He'll be leaving Sunday morning, so a commitment's definitely expected. He's visiting with his family, and uh, yeah, it seems like Notre Dame's the clear front runner and the only team he really talks about. So if we if we hear about a commitment Saturday morning or potentially even tonight, I wouldn't be surprised about that at all. Um, commit three-star wide receiver from Massachusetts, the St. John's product, Jay Brunell, will be there as well. He's the guy I really like a lot, potentially an undervalued recruit, as well as Wyatt Millam, a guy nobody's really talking about, but a four-star offensive tackle. He's one of the better offensive tackles, I think, in the nation. He's 6'6", 273-pounder as a junior, and uh, he's looking to uh, improve Notre Dame's already great class of 2021, so looking to to be between Notre Dame, Ohio State, and Penn State at the moment. And uh, he's from West Virginia, so it's kind of a mixed bag of teams right there. But uh, with how Notre Dame's developing the offensive line, I uh, wouldn't be surprised if uh, Wyatt Millum becomes a Notre Dame product. Yeah, it'll be interesting to watch how all that plays out this week. And the prior story is interesting because, if I'm not mistaken, he was just up here for USC. Uh, so certainly that interest seems to be growing for sure. All right, we mentioned it at the top of the show, Mason. Tried to save a couple minutes here. You threw it out there on Twitter, Mason Plummer six. Threw it out there on Twitter, see, asking folks if they have any questions for us. Probably have time to get to about two of them before we better get to predictions. So, what you got, Mason? All right, we got seven or eight. I'll go ahead and pick two. This one comes from at Brandon Martin's eight. Todd, I'll just give this one to you. How do you think Book will rebound after coming off a terrible game against Michigan? Book uh, Book's season has played out by the book. When he plays really good teams, he's lousy. When he plays really bad teams, he's unbelievable. And when he plays average teams, he's average. I would I would consider Virginia Tech an average team. Certainly, Book won't look like he did against Michigan, but don't look don't expect him to look like he did against Bowling Green either. It'll be adequate, nothing spectacular. All right, and then we'll get to one last one here. This comes from at Irish Daily Ten. If Notre Dame finishes eight and four or worse, do you think it's time to part ways with Brian Kelly and make a drastic change? No, I if don't. If oh. does make that move, who do you think you should go all in for? I'm going to pitch in on this one as well. Why don't you go ahead and start, Mason? Uh, one guy that I've liked a lot is Matt Rule from Baylor. That's the only real name that comes to mind that I would like other than, you know, there's a lot of – uh, backlash and turmoil with uh, Urban Meyer, but he'd be an obvious choice with the the winning that he brings to a program. But I'm I'm not necessarily down to get rid of Brian Kelly. Uh, I I do think that Swarbrick is questioning that contract extension they've been talking about with on the team's played recently. But uh, 
Yeah, I'm not ready to get rid of the Brian Kelly regime yet. How about you, Todd? <laughs> Isn't football a funny deal? You know, you go undefeated and go to the playoffs last year, and, and here we are the next season. We're trying to shove you out the door. I'm not quite ready to get rid of Brian Kelly yet either, although sometimes I wonder if he's reached his ceiling. This very much reminds me of 2005 and 06. Charlie Weiss came in like gangbusters in 05, put Notre Dame on the map. They looked unbeatable. They had everybody back for 2006, and then they lost the two games. They just couldn't quite get over the hump, and then it kind of took a downward turn. Kind of see that pattern with Brian Kelly a little bit. I honestly think, and I'd not want to make excuses, but it just seems like it is tougher to recruit to Notre Dame than it is a lot of other places for a variety of reasons. I think there is some legitimacy to the grades and obviously the weather and whatnot. I'm not ready to run him out of here yet because, frankly, I think his recruiting is on a roll, and that's where it all starts. If you're getting the players, certainly you have to do a better job of developing them, but certainly Brian Kelly is, is worth you know finishing out this contract. I can't see anybody running him out of here. He doesn't deserve to be. All right, Mason, let's start with you. Virginia Tech, predictions, what you got? Well, this Virginia Tech team has given up over 30 points per game, and they haven't really played a solid, a very good Power 5 team, and I think Notre Dame is that. So um, I'm going to go with, let's see, 35-17 Notre Dame, just barely to, uh, covers. Yep, that's that's pretty good. Uh, yeah, I'm kind of in the same ballpark there with you. Um, I think Notre Dame's defense is going to play a heck of a lot better than it did uh, against Michigan. How couldn't it, frankly? I still think the offense is going to struggle a little bit for Notre Dame. I don't know that they're going to rebound as quickly as what the defense will in this game, but certainly I think the horses and the athletes for Notre Dame uh, certainly have should give the Notre Dame about a. I'm going to give them about a 14 point win. Mason, I think I'll take Virginia Tech in the points. I'm going to go 31 17. So uh, we're we're pretty much in the same ballpark. Be interesting to see though. Can Notre Dame bounce back? That's the big question. All right, quick fly by some other sports here. Notre Dame will open its regular season men's basketball Wednesday at North Carolina. If you're going to get North Carolina, a new look North Carolina team, probably the season opener is the chance to do it. Uh, the women will play Tuesday, Fordham, 7 p.m. at the Bronx. Again, that men's game is 7 p.m. as well. And the undefeated men's hockey team plays Minnesota this weekend. Mason Plummer, 6, we're out of time. I better hustle and get us out of here. Really appreciate it, my friend. Yeah, thanks for having me on again, Todd. Go Irish. All righty. Thank you, folks. That's a wrap for us. Brought to you by Dio McComan Son Funeral Home here. Hopefully Rags will be back next weekend. But until then, you all have a good week. Peace. This has been a presentation of Optin Productions. Podcasts by Federated Media. Podcasts by Federated Media.